This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hi, everyone. Welcome to VaynerX Presents Marketing for the Now. I'm Andrea Sullivan, CMO of VaynerX, and I'm here with Gary Vaynerchuk for lucky episode number 13. Are you ready, Gary? I'm ready. Oh, wait a minute. Is this 13? <laughs> this is number 13. It's the now end of our the summer series. I am so sad. Now the tech problems make all, like, this is perfect. This is so on brand. I know. It's so true. It's <laughs> we good. literally just had our first tech, like real tech problems. That's why we're 10 minutes late. Sorry, everybody. And the fact that it's the 13th episode allows us to continue to lean into that superstition and, and, and jinxing numbers. So shout out to my sister born on the 13th. We've always made jokes about it. Go ahead, Andrea. Zoom is claiming this has never happened before in the history of Zoom. We're not sure if that's- Do we get a prize or- We're going to hold them to that. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Uh, but today we've got a really exciting episode. We're going to be talking to some serious change agents today from startup land to Fortune 100. And unfortunately, Charlemagne the God is going to have to come and join us another time. He just jumped in the car with his kids, which is very, very important. Um, so we're going to be asking him to come back in our Marketing for the Now 2.0. So stay tuned on that front. But importantly, we have Sarah... Pollen. First up, she is the co-founder and CEO of Supergirl. Sarah founded Supergirl with her mom, Marilyn Pollen, aka Supermom and Chief Anxiety Officer, and I'm hoping she shares a little bit more about that. The duo is on a mission to change the world, one bowl of soup at a time. Sourcing seasonally from sustainable farmers, the company makes a wide variety of healthy, kosher, all-natural, plant-based soups that can be found all over the East Coast. You can find Supergirl, Supergirl products everywhere. She's going to tell you where, I hope. And Gary, if she doesn't, I hope you ask her. Um, the company also ships their soup nationwide. She's received tons of press everywhere. She was on Shark Tank, and we're so lucky to have her here on Marketing for the Now. Welcome, Sarah. Oh my gosh. I'm going to ask you to do all of my intros moving forward, Andrea. Thank you. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. This is amazing. Thank you for having me. So why don't we get some co more context? Obviously, Andrea touched some of the top line headlines, but for two or three minutes, create some context on how the business was started. You know, the mom and daughter dynamic is really rad and um, and any other anecdotal aspects. And then I'll go into the change agent part, like some of the innovation, things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. I started the business back in 2008. I'm trying not to get super close uh, to <laughs> the screen. Um, on a mission to change the world one bowl of soup at a time. And originally, you know, we were very fortunate in that we were kind of hitting these like buzz, buzzwords before other people were like local and sustainable. Back in 2008, we were kind of a little ahead of the curve with that. And we were also delivering to people's homes and offices before that was like a thing. And so um, people were really responsive. And so what did that mean at the time? It meant like marching down to the farmer's market and getting to know these farmers and like cooking soup with the ingredients that we saw at the market. And then we grew and we added retail locations. And then in 2015, we entered Whole Foods and then we entered Costco and the momentum kept building. And now, you know, fast forward to 2020, um, we had to shut down one of our retail locations, but we have a really robust D2C business. And then we're also in Whole Foods and Costco and Wegmans and Lidl. And we're just- Are there, are there no more, are there no more DTC? I mean, excuse me, no more retail locations or you have, um, you have some? We shut down one and then the, the kind of our original flagship location is now the hub of our um, 
local distribution program, yep. meaning like all over DC, Maryland, Virginia. Yep. And so like, it's kind of become a bit of a, <laughs> let's, a let's, mess. Let's, 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 talk, let's talk about that. You know, because I think this, you know, speaking of messes, right now in my dad's wine shop, wine library, we launched a year ago something called Wine Text that has exploded during this time. My dad built this incredibly gorgeous store, hardwood floors, mahogany pillars, um, Frankie sinks. Like he built the store, it almost put us out of business because he <laughs> built it like it's his, his legacy and his home. And right now on the second floor, there's nothing but boxes and packaging. And it like literally, it, like take the nicest, fanciest house you've ever been into and turn it into a warehouse. And I'm excited about it because it shows that we're entrepreneurs and we're not gonna be emotional about anything other than what's the reality of the marketplace. Here you are, you built this great business over the last 12 years and you know, I'm being omni-channel, right? You've got, I heard you, you're in all these places and part of omni-channel is your own and operated. I'm sure six years ago, if you and I are talking over dinner, you're like, and maybe, or hopefully we'll have a hundred stores that we own and up or franchise, whatever you were thinking. But sure enough, neither of us nor anybody predicts a pandemic. I, I even like the way you said, eh, it's kind of a mess. Like leaning into what is actually going on versus your ideology, back to ch change agents, back to being obsessed with this being a valuable show for the people that are watching. What have you learned about yourself through that process of shutting those two stores down in essence. Like, what have we learned there? You know, it's a great question. And I think in March, 2020, we had to look at what did it mean to change the world one bowl of soup at a time? I had to really evaluate what, what are the values upon which we founded this business? And you know, everyone's fleeing. Everyone is going home, locking themselves in. And I'm asking my team to do the opposite of what everyone else is trying to do. And I'm asking my team to go into an air conditioned facility that wasn't built for social distancing. You know, I'm trying to feed people the healthiest food available. I mean, you know, the connection between health and your susceptibility to this disease is pretty extreme. And we really had to do like a really deep dive into our values. And to be honest, I almost shut down because really? the stress, Yep. asking people to leave their yeah, homes, it's insane. It. It's insane. But I did some soul searching and a lot of these people, you know, we just doubled down on those values, man. We just like worked on our supply chain, our, our people respecting their farmers, our team. We started, we, we test every week. We now have insurance for everybody. We, we, we have PPE up the wazoo. We are doing whatever it takes to make sure every stakeholder is protected. And, and now what I'm doing, Gary, is I'm trying to evaluate, and I, I gotta be honest, I, I, I'm in a somewhat Zen state because yesterday was the Jewish Day of Atonement. It was Yom Kippur. Yep. And, I, and I, I fasted like crazy. Okay. <laughs> so, so when I came out of my dehydrated haze, I was like, what, are the, what, do, what is quality? What are, we, what are we trying to do here? And I, I was thinking about, you know, some of my customers used to say, hey, you know, I can't wait for your next sale. I can't, and it was literally like, hey, you know, mm. It was just any excuse like, hey, Simplest Toro's next week. What's up a sale? Um, has anyone seen Top Secret? No. Did mm -hmm. I just date myself? I know where you are. <laughs> I don't so, think everybody did, by the way. But okay, that's what makes just, jokes like okay, that perfect. Everyone needs to see Top Secret. Just going to throw that out there. Um, but like, we've trained consumers to look for sales and deals. Why can't we train them to demand more from the brands that they support? 
And, and I don't want to be telling people, hey, wait for your next 30% off. I want to spend money and work with partners that can help me explain this message, like the Sasha group, which I adore. Um, I, I, want to, I want to explain to the consumer why, no, this is why this costs what it does. Because every stakeholder is cared for, including you. And look, we're not perfect by any sense of the word, but you know, I, I, I find myself channeling RBG and um, she had a, a, a sign in her office that said, Sedek, Sedek Tirdof, which is Hebrew for justice, justice we should pursue. And the private sector, we as CPG business owners have an opportunity here to really start communicating. People are listening to us. We can communicate what it means to be a truly values-focused brand. In the world of COVID, we, we need to. We have an obligation because the wool has been stripped off. And we now know that people are literally dying to get us our food. I know I'm saying a lot here, but like- No, no, sorry, it actually, takes, it actually takes me to a place that I'm passionate about as well. I think the question that I'm thinking a lot about is as somebody who's very loving and socially liberal, where does, where does the ideology need to meet practicality? Right, a business- Absolutely. Like I think about it every day, like by the way, you running a business were put in an unbelievable, I am convinced that you and I as non-business owners, hearing that business sent people into work to deliver soup and wine would have something to say versus actually sitting in that seat. I think the great challenge of today is to find the balance of left and right in our companies and definitely in our society in a time where everyone is pulling further apart. This is the greatest time to not judge and shame and cancel each 100%. other, but everyone's doing that, right? In business, to your point, you don't have the luxury of not finding balance. While you are channeling RBJ and being who you are and the vibes you're giving me right now, you still made people come in to deliver soup because you'd be out of business. Hence me spending a absurd amount of time grinding my teeth and in the fetal position. Correct. Because could I do this? You know, could I really do this? But like, Gary, I had my team, they said, thank you for giving us a job. I, I know. Protecting. I know. But I agree. I was like, you I know, know you agree. My partners, I'm listening. But, 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 but by the way, like, by the way, but by the way, that's where we all need to learn from. The same people that said to you, thank you for doing this, give me a job, are the same people that a lot of people in New York and LA demonize on Twitter like we're just overly judging and, every, and everything has to get back to the middle. The ecosystem and that's leadership has created separation. I think the job of business to your point, and I agree, and I have compounded, um, compounded kind of accountability because I'm a front facing human on a big platform with a business. But I think balance is what's required right now. And I think business uniquely has that opportunity because guess what? All those people that boycotted Facebook, they did it because they thought it was gonna be good for their business. And when they found out it wasn't, they're all coming back to Facebook because they realize customers don't care about that. So what do customers care about? Themselves. Okay, but don't people wanna feel like Yes. Look, it's so real, real quick right you, now. Wait, wait, real quick, Sarah, I think you're on a great point there. Let's finish that. Yeah. 
People want to feel what they want to feel, not what you think they want to feel. Amen. So to your point, there are people, for example, my most thoughtful friends in business realize that the things that big brands boycotted Facebook for, every single media place that they sent their money to does the same thing. So they saw it as hypocrisy. They weren't saying that something's good or bad. It was just hypocrisy. If you're running Google ads and TV ads, you're in the same place. So to your point, people want what they want. For example, I tweeted something two months ago in the midst of all this around your favorite candy. I just, I, as a human and the people on the other side, I felt in my chemicals that, you, that I just needed escapism from the heaviness. And for 39 seconds, I'm just fucking curious what your favorite candy is. I had friends texting me saying, fuck you. The fuck are you worried about this right now in a time like this? I said, that's cute, but you didn't ask me what I needed. I've been working 18 hours a day trying to feed people through All In Challenge, raising $61 million. I've been spending ungodly amounts of time on politics off the grid. I'm trying to keep my business afloat. I'm sorry that you didn't like that I wanted to know what candy everybody liked for two minutes because guess what? Hearing Gobstoppers or Nerds Candy is just what I needed right now. So back to your energy, Sarah, which was perfect, which is why I went on this little rant, which I think brings value to this combo. I think we as businesses need to understand they all need lots of different things. And so as businesses, we need to fill voids and needs across the board. What have you seen? For example, some people during this incredibly difficult time probably sent your lovely company a nice email saying, I fucking loved my soup and it's exactly what I needed today. Some, some barley mushroom soup right now would make me feel really happy. Yeah, you know, it's been interesting. We have this unique brand where we'll send out emails to our whole list, you know, thousands and thousands of people and we get personal responses. And when we are front and center about our struggles and what we have been going through since March, we, we have received like dear super mom, the chief anxiety officer, you need something worried about, she's your girl. Um, and dear Supergirl, and thanks. And these are my thoughts and, and just sharing and just sharing. And I kind of used to think that the community was a red herring. I wasn't convinced that there, a brand could create a community. And I'm not, I'm, I'm still kind of 50-50 on that. But I do think that us being very honest and transparent about where we're failing, where we're succeeding and what we are trying to do it's working. And I don't want to think that I'm, I, I don't want you to think that I'm doing this. It's just like, okay, then just I'm running away to the bank because they're, they're buying into this. No, I'm, I'm sharing with y'all and I need your support so we can build awesome. this mission and, and, and just help because I do think consumers are aware and it is so overwhelming to know what we know now. It is so overwhelming and upsetting to know that some of the basic things you were doing, the food you were buying, the brands you're supporting are tied to some pretty horrific practices in some regard. But if, if brands are just more transparent and the thing about connecting to people directly online and not having to go through you know, old school channels means you control that conversation. And so we're just trying to have an honest conversation. Well, at the same time, I am a former stand-up comic and I'm trying to like, I don't know, bring a little levity into situations. <laughs> I love the candy thing. That's why I got to work with Sasha because I got to yeah, I mean, figure you got, out. You got like some of that stuff matters because, because escapism is foundational for people's mental health. Sometimes Talk we lose out of ball soup. Well, to that point, what have you seen knowing there's so many marketers here also trying to 
bring as much value to every constituent that's watching. By the way, everybody, use the hashtag marketing for the now with your feedback on Twitter. I'm engaging with you all right now. What has been the biggest consumer shift that you've seen have different, like is chicken soup up? Because people are like, I want chicken soup. It's a comfort food. Like well, we're vegan, so. <laughs> yeah. So that's out. But like, what are you seeing from your world? Uh, just a lot. I mean, our, our website uh, just exploded uh, in March and just the consumer, the change in consumer behavior is, is just shocking how quickly it happened and how it has stayed. It's definitely calmed down a little bit, but you also have, you know, it's very hard when you're talking about traditional grocery because people are either sending other people a shop for them, a la Instacart, and then you're trying to figure out how do people get, how do you get to the top of people's shopping list? You know, all the formulas are really complicated. Um, and then people are just interacting with brands directly. And so it, it's just shocking how quickly that happened. There's opportunity in both, but you've got to get real creative, real creative. And, and what I'm struggling with is just, you know, how do you spend your marketing budget? You know, we used to do a really big demo, in-person demo program, in-person sampling program in grocery. Well, that's out. Yeah. So, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to reach those consumers who are shopping on Instacart or in the grocery store, just like staring at their list and then leaving because they're scared for their lives. So that's why, you know, that direct to consumer channel that we control, that's, you got to double down on that. And you got to be very, very open and transparent about that. Well, we got four minutes. Advice for young entrepreneurs. You know, what, what stands out when I say, you know, what you've learned, how you've learned, you know, and by the way, real quick, in that answer, give us context on how much you thought of yourself as a saleswoman, businesswoman, or entrepreneur when you were growing up, because the word has evolved tremendously in our two lifetimes. Just so give me a little context on that, because I think that might help some people as well. <laughs> I can say that as a former stand-up comic, I really didn't know much about business. But what I did know is that I wanted to do, I wanted to make good. I wanted to do right. I wanted to just dive into this business and figure out how to build a good one, a good in every sense of the word. And I think if you surround yourself with smart people um, and you know when to ask for help, especially now, because we're in uncharted territory, no one knows what we're doing. Ask for, ask for help, ask for help. Like for example, Sasha Group, mm -hmm. ask for that help. But no, just be so sure of your mission. So sure, compromise when necessary, but just God, know what you're trying to do. Believe what, in what you're trying to do. What's and, the biggest thing you learned from stand-up that has been transported here? Like, you're like, like, as you've been building this business, you're like, wait a minute, I'm good at this because, you know, I did this for all these years. W what have been some of the um, standout things? You know, if you can um, face a group of sailors in for Fleet Week, <laughs> You can really handle anybody. Um, that is not an easy crowd. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound and, like. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you can be quick on your feet, you know, just being able to handle that pressure, rapid fire questions that you just out of left field, the, the heckling, you just gotta have the thick skin, you know, cause there's just so many people that are out there that they just wanna see you fall. They wanna see you fail. And if you're uh, like- On that, uh, on that because I'm a huge, marvelous Mrs. Maisel fan. Yes, you love must her. Love that, right? Love her. You I mean, knowing you a little from yes. afar, Holy shit, that show was lit. Like when you heard that show came out, you're like, oh my God, they made a show for me. Yes, yes. Um, right now, just for fun, because now I'm, I'm looking to have a little more fun on these shows as well. And, and we could take a little time because we're waiting for Mark to come on here. 
high light and low light stand up. Go, quick versions, like two, you got four minutes, two minutes sure. on each. I did that. Um, highlight story <laughs> and the, the all time highlight and the all time low light stand up <laughs> story because I'm, I'm fascinated by stand up. Sure, so um, I, I perform primarily in New York and um, which was great, but the DC audience, I'm from DC, was very different. So highlight was I came in and I visited uh, and did a show, it was a, um, a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood and my folks were in the audience. And I mean, I, I really had a great set, like a great set um, and I killed it. Love. Another weekend I came in and a friend of mine who's a pretty successful comic let me open up for him um, at the same club. And I did a very similar set and like bombed so bad. My, my mom overheard someone in the audience being like, is she done yet? And that's just like soul crushing <laughs> to have your mom overhear someone like waiting for you to get off stage. Uh, and also just again, Fleet Week is very challenging. Yeah, those boys uh, <laughs> don't fool around. No, and they're not interested in political humor. Um, so they, just I, want, they probably just wanted some raw kind mm -hmm, of like raw, mm -hmm. basics, right? Yeah, and that was just not. Wanna, yeah, my whole pack. No, and it's and it and it's unfortunate. I, I always think that people in society underestimate athletes. You know, I'm an athlete representation business with my brother, and like I wish people really knew. Same with servicemen and women. It's not that they're not smart enough. No, it's that this is their escapism. Exactly. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's not. They the, don't want to hear yeah. about the exactly and right. They're, they're stressed every day of the week when they get on land and want to let loose in New York City. They just need to laugh. And tying that into business, you got to know your you got to know your audience. Hundred percent. You got to know your audience, and that was I I learned right there. I didn't know that audience very well. Sarah, thank you so much. Continued success with thank the incredible you, company. Thank bye you bye. so much. See ya. Andrea. Our next guest is Mark Laurie, the president and CEO of Walmart US e-commerce and founder and CEO of Jet.com. And he's a serial entrepreneur. Mark was appointed in 2016 to lead Walmart's e-com when his company Jet.com was acquired. In this role, he accelerates Walmart's e-commerce growth and customer reach, leading Walmart.com and Jet.com. Mark was named Ian Wise Entrepreneur of the Year and Fortune's Smartest People in Technology. Welcome, Mark. Can Mark freeze on us? Mark? Yeah, now he moved. Mark, can you hear us? I think Mark might have a bad connection. Oh dear. No worries. Hey, Mark, Mark, I'm going to text him. Andrea, while I'm texting with Mark about that, can you give the audience how they can be engaging, what the hashtags are and things of that nature? Yeah, we'd love to get you guys um, continuing the conversation on Twitter, hashtag marketing for the now. And also, if you've missed any of our episodes from before, check us out. We've got all the episodes recorded um, and they're up on VaynerX.com. You can see any of the individual interviews or the episodes in their entirety. Andrea, while we're waiting for Mark, over what, what, you know, you've been, you know, CMO of Vayner now for two and a half, what are we in two and a half years? Help me here. Two and a half. Yeah. Just a little over two and a half. One by Gary. I'm very aware. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> what is, what stood out for you in these last six months, either from what you learned about yourself, what you, and by the way, you know how I like to roll 
what maybe you've seen me do differently than you thought I would? Yeah, I think it's just, it's been incredible in this time to be able to see the entire company of 900 people be able to basically work from home on a global scale overnight um, and to be able to just move with, you know, with such pace and agility. I think marketing for the now is a great example. If we were trying to, you know, dream this up and make it happen, um, you know, oh, sort of pre-COVID. Mark, can you hear us? You're on mute. Yep, you're on mute. Seems like you're moving though. So it's oh, yeah, is that good? Really good. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I went off Wi-Fi. I was having Wi-Fi trouble. Hopefully this works now. So we're we're feeling solid. First of all, you look great. Are you racing Jerry Rice again? I don't know why you look so handsome. <laughs> no, no, you're not seeing down here. You know, the COVID nineteen is for real. Yeah, the COVID nineteen <laughs> has completely outpaced the freshman fifteen for most of my yes. friends and family. Um, Mark, thank you for being on. Obviously, we had a very long session on my podcast, so I know a lot of people in the audience have gotten that context, but I also know a lot of people listen to marketing for now that have no clue about my podcast. So three minutes on your entrepreneurial journey context, the, th the 180 second, 240 second version of kids selling baseball cards to where you are now at Walmart. Yeah, when I, when I was four years old, I, uh, people asked what I wanted to be, the teacher, and I wrote this thing up that said, I wanna be a farmer because they grow stuff from nothing in crayon, and my mom kept it. And that basically sums up, you know, everything. You know, I, I love creating stuff from nothing. I did every entrepreneurial business you could think about as a kid, mowing lawns, weeds, newspapers, recycle, wash cars. By the way, that's, 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 that's pulling weeds in New Jersey, not selling weed as a kid, right? I just want to make sure everybody that's, heard you. Exactly. Though you're from Jersey, so anything's possible. <laughs> yes. <That's true. laughs> and then, you know, went, went to college and uh, there wasn't really the startup scene. So when I graduated college, I went to work for a bank. You know, it's, uh, I wish I could have worked for a startup, but it wasn't really a thing. And then um, worked in banking for about six, seven years, was doing really well, knew I didn't want to be in banking forever. The startup scene was starting to heat up. This is late 90s and decided one day to just quit and, and start a company and took some risk. And the rest is history. I've done four startups, sold, built and sold four startups. And the last two, one was to Amazon, was Quitsy. Uh, it's a holding company for diapers.com, wag.com. Sold to Amazon back in 2011. Started jet.com, sold that to Walmart uh, uh, four years Mark, ago. Can you, us, then, can you give us the five seconds version of how you got your inventory for diapers.com, which is a brand a lot of people know? Yeah. <laughs> we started no, diapers.com. Yeah, Procter & Gamble and Huggies, you know, Kimberly Clark. Mm -hmm. uh, Pampers and Huggies are the two main diaper brands. Could not get them direct from the manufacturer. For two years, they would not sell us. So the only way to get diapers was to go to the wholesale clubs and buy them. Um, and so we'd go to the wholesale club, buy them, label them, ship them out. The problem was we lost money on every box of diapers we sold, um, knowing full well that one day if we got big enough, the manufacturer would sell us direct. And although, I mean, they eventually did, but only because, you know, the wholesale club, I think it was BJ's, we would clear them out of every single box of diapers. And they got so frustrated that they called the manufacturer and said, can you please sell these guys direct because they're killing me. And that's the only reason. <laughs> and the manufacturer said at the time, we still don't believe in your business model. We don't believe in selling diapers online, but we'll sell you because BJ's is an important client of ours. And that was the only reason. And, you know, fast forward, you know, 10 years later, Procter & Gamble is basically saying that they think that you know, why would anybody buy diapers anywhere but online? Why would they go in a store? And so it's, it's very quick turnaround, you know?
you sell a company to Amazon and then you come back almost a decade later and you sell one to Walmart. And, and my question is, how do, you, how do you bring your entrepreneurialism to the table in those environments, right? One thing I've been impressed with, so you know, being a fan of your execution from afar, we didn't know each other during this time, but we were doing our things in Jersey and I would always kind of root for you because there's so few people who are actually operators. You know, by the way, back to real entrepreneurs versus not, a lot of real entrepreneurs give up when they can't get the inventory because the business plan said you have to buy the product. I, you know, that's what I admired. I, uh, so when I saw the jet.com, this is me personally, official you know, point of view, I was like, okay, what a brilliant, he played the model again. He went to the other place. Is he really gonna be able to impact that place? Because unlike the first place, the DNA's matched way more. I'm real curious as a, I'm a fan, the way people watch basketball is the way I watch business. We have Jeff, okay. Jeff Smith coming up soon, who is also back to that whole ecosystem, an incredible executive at J&J. And as he went into his entrepreneurial world, A, I care about him as a human and was rooting for him, but also curious to see that kind of athlete who dominated in that one game, how is he gonna be? Like, what's he gonna learn? What's he gonna be good at and not good at? I love that shit. I was real, I really was like, ooh, can Walmart ingest that organ? Can that body ingest that organ? And what's gonna happen? And will jet.com eventually become walmart.com? Some of these stories have played out. We've never talked about this, even though in the last couple of years we've gotten to know each other. Talk me through being an entrepreneur operator in such a conglomerate. And what, did it play out better than you thought? Like, were, I'm sure you were judging the body as well you know, just using your common sense, I already kind of got your quick answer. I'm fascinated by this part because this usually doesn't work out. It's seemingly, I don't have the details, is working out, talking me through it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great lesson for big companies making acquisitions of startups. I think, you know, when, when we sold the company to Amazon, um, they were like, hey, you continue to keep doing your thing because that's what you want to do, right? As an entrepreneur, you just want to keep doing your thing, we'll leave you alone. And I think a lot of big companies think that entrepreneurs want to be, just keep doing their thing and be left alone. That's not necessarily the case. When you have a platform as big as Amazon or as big as Walmart, you want to be able to impact the mothership and, and really be able to help drive massive change, much bigger than you can do on your own. So in the case of Amazon, they left us alone. They said, keep doing your thing. You guys will be happy just doing your thing, right? And we're like, no, but nothing changed. With Walmart, I had learned that lesson. And talking to Doug McMillan, the, the CEO at the time, who still is, um, really started to, to build uh, you know, the, the, the core values of the relationship from the ground up, you know, starting with trust. And we built a lot of trust in a very short period of time. And I told Doug, if you really want um, you know, Jet and me and the team to, to help Walmart and help you know, drive uh, change, then we would be up for that. If you just want to buy us and leave us alone and have us do our thing, we're not we, interested. We've done that already. And I don't want to play that dance again. Exactly. And so when Doug and the board came back and said, hey, we want to give you and your team sort of the keys to e-commerce here at Walmart. Um, we, we, we think that you, know, you and the team could really help make a big impact here. And, and I think that was the key. It was as simple as that. It was basically empowering me and the team to, to go and make change. A little bit more of a hardball question. How do you feel it's going on, quote unquote, closing the gap between Amazon.com and Walmart.com? I mean... I think it's going really well. Um, there's still a big gap there, but if you look at where we were four years ago when I joined versus you know 
where where we are today. Uh, I'm I'm quite proud of the progress the team has made. Where um, where where have you advanced more than you anticipated? You're a smart dude. I've really come to admire you. Where have you advanced more than you thought? And where have you fallen short more than you thought if I went into a time machine and had a glass of wine with 48 months ago, Mark? Yeah, I mean, as, as an entrepreneur, when I say fall short, you know, I had, you know, really big uh, audacious goals set for ourselves and the team when we came in, uh, you know, shoot for the stars and land on the moon sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I think it was harder than I expected, even though I expected it to be hard. It's hard. It's hard to move an aircraft carrier and change direction. Um, with, with that being said, you know, I, I, I'm surprised at how much we've been able to innovate inside of a big company. You know, we, we started this thing called Store Number Eight, which is an umbrella yep. for startups that we built inside of Walmart. And we've been able to build a bunch of these startups that are wholly owned by Walmart and then infuse them back in the business. And it was a great lesson. I'd recommend it for any big company. You know, it's, it's really hard to build a startup inside of a business when they're, when they're being managed by the operators of the business because- it's, it's two different agendas. That operator yeah, cares about short-term results. A startup needs to be like a baby. Those first three years, you have to coddle and be patient. Yes, exactly. So if you can carve it out and give it capital and, and, and let it act like a startup, and then in a couple of years when it's got traction, the business then raises their hand and says, yeah, I, I would love that to be part of my business. And you're like, okay. Here you go. You know, just take the winners. And, uh, and it's worked out really well. We built some businesses. We infused them back in the business. Um, I think the whole in-home delivery is, is, is a great example, um, delivering directly into people's refrigerators. Um, I think Walmart Plus launch, I think, um, you know, that was, uh, you know, a way for Walmart to leverage their unique assets to do something that only Walmart can do. 100%. Um, so. What, um, what's your biggest learning from COVID. I'm just really excited to get into your mind for a second here. What's your biggest aha? Uh -huh and what's your biggest reaffirmation? Your biggest fuck, I didn't see that. Wow, this is cool. And your biggest, I knew it, I told, I just knew it. And look how obvious it is now. Yeah, I, I had really early on, as soon as, you know, in, in March, uh, was, was sort of fascinated with, with this pandemic and sort of Built, built my own sort of model to predict what was going to happen. Oh, and really yes. Does, yes, yeah, I was getting really, that text. That was wild, bro. I thought that, I was like, oh, Mark's way more math nerdy than I think I realized. That was cool. <laughs> I forgot about it. That was a highlight for me. I was waiting for those texts. I, I started it. I mean, that, I am a, a sort of math nerd. You know, that's how I you know, started yeah, when I was bet, younger. Yep. It's just math and stuff, that sort of stuff. So, um, I, just so no, I, you, will, I just thought you were rusty. Yeah, <laughs> definitely <laughs> rusty and definitely rusty. <laughs> no, but uh, sometimes, you know, you have to like dig deep. I, I was reading all kinds of stuff as everybody else was and you've seen all these contradictory things. You didn't know what to believe. And I just felt like this was one of those times to kind of dive deep and, and kind of model and figure it out yourself. And I think that was, that was super helpful for just planning purposes to kind of understand what was gonna happen when and, and what the risks and opportunities were there. So. I think that was a great lesson in, in just, you know, knowing when to, to sort of dive deep into something. It happens in, in business every day. You're, you're, you're in a leadership position and you're, you're typically, you know, just staying at, at, at you know, uh, mile, mile high. And then every once in a while, you got to know when is the time to sort of dig deep and, and rip something apart. And so that was a, that was a great lesson for me in, in, in doing that. So 
Um, I had a, a different perspective on COVID. I kind of had a little bit more knowledge as to where what was happening, where it was going. Um, and uh, that, that was- And what about, what about the biggest affirmation? Like, what did you just, what have you seen from consumer behavior business that you were like, yep, and I'm glad other people see it now too? I mean, certainly with e-com. I mean, it pulled e-commerce probably forward maybe three, four years um, in terms of that. And I think it'll, that'll continue to, to happen. Um, but there's lots of new habits that, that people have formed, you know, as a result, trends that were going to happen naturally, but were going to take a lot longer. And I think in, in lots of industries, you're, you're seeing that and being able to recognize, um, you know, those opportunities is, is, is key for any successful entrepreneur thinking about doing a new business. Where's the puck going uh, as opposed to where it's been? Yeah. Mark, I really appreciate you. Thanks for figuring out the very difficult technical difficulties you had, which allowed you to jam with us. I really appreciate your time. Continued success. Yeah, thanks, Gary. It was a lot of fun. See you. Cheers. This is definitely episode number 13, isn't it, Gary? It sure is. <laughs> but not to worry. Next up, we have Claire Bennett, the CMO of IHG Hotels and Resorts, and she oversees 16 brands that span countries, demographics, and income values. Claire is responsible for all aspects of marketing execution and operations globally, food and beverage, guest experience, loyalty programs, sponsorships, and day-to-day -day revenue responsibility. Claire has worked across many industries and around the globe to 71 countries, in fact, but wow. we will let her tell you all about that. Welcome, Claire. Thanks, Andrea. Hi. Claire, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you had a wonderful beginning to the week. Um, I would love to set the context for everybody, but not at your professional level. Let's take you all the way back. Can I do one thing, Gary, though? You can. I want to say how I know Andrea, because it's kind of a cool story. I'm so we, we are a bunch of, uh, I met her through a group of women who decided a while ago that we wanted to put our money where our mouths were and invest in companies that were led by women CEOs. Um, so that's how I know Andrea is I met her with a group of people that uh, probably has been together, I think, six years, probably, Andrea, just investing in these businesses. We've done incredibly well outpacing the S&P, except for this year. <laughs> we found out not a lot of women reach te read, run tech companies. So we need more women running tech companies. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to give a shout out to Andrea and uh, thank you for the opportunity for being here. I love you for doing that. Thank you. It adds so much context and charm to the show. Claire, take, take me back to the beginning. Like what kind of little girl were you? Were you, were you a good student? Were you entrepreneurial? Were you a reader? Were you yeah. outgoing, introverted? Give us a little context. Cause I think, you know, there's so many people under the age of 21 that listen to this program. And I think when they see themselves in other people, um, it really helps. So, and because we're just getting to know each other, I'd love that context. I'm being a little selfish if you really want to be honest. No problem. Thanks for the opportunity. I came from a large family. I have five brothers and one sister. So I think that very much colored wow. my background um, in terms of how I got to where I am today. One, I think when you come from a large family, and again, particularly with a, with a lot of brothers, you learn to um, choose your battles uh, and really fight for the things that matter, but sometimes uh, knowing when to sort of lose the battle to win the war. Um, but I and, also, where, and where were you in the order of seven? Uh, almost last until my surprise younger brother came along. So you were six? So, yeah. Lots and, of and what's the age difference between you and your youngest brother? Uh, eight years. And then so you years. had this whole identity of being the baby 
And, and you then, ruined it for me. And then yeah. on your eighth birthday, here comes, <laughs> he completely ruined it. He did. Um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, lots to unpack there, Gary. We can yes, I listened. That. That. <laughs> Trust me, my mind's like, oh, that's how, there it is. <laughs> no, I think it's really just, uh, it takes a lot to phase somebody, I think, who comes from a large family. Because yeah, you kind of learn right. to go with the flow, which is pretty appropriate for the world we're in right now. Um, you sort of learn to adapt and respond and uh as much as my brothers drove me nuts growing up uh, i love them dearly and we're all uh, and my sister we're all very close and uh, still get together once a year for a massive family reunion and we kind of did a little half version of that this year so super nice figured out how to make it happen and what about career what was your first professional gig i was an accountant so i started my career in finance um you, and did I, you like math no <laughs> That's did you do it? Did you do it? Because, did you do it because you thought it was a safe, steady? Like, were you? Had, yes. You were told that that was a smart place for you to consider, and you were like, "Why not?" Yes, mm -hmm. um, and I think it helps immensely, right? I mean, like, if, yeah. I think as marketers today, generally, you're helping run the business, so having yeah. that context and that mindset is incredibly helpful in my day-to-day -day job. I mean, we really have a, a large job to do to drive the revenue and, and to make all the business trade-offs in terms of which new brands we launch, what we invest in. So it's been incredibly helpful. Um, but I worked in a lot of industries too. I worked in consumer packaged goods. I worked for Dell in technology. I worked in the, uh, I was on the board of Toomey. So I sort of got a little taste mm. of the retail space. Um, and then I worked for American Express in financial services but they have a large travel business and that's what started me on sort of the path to getting in the hospitality industry. So on the, on the front, hearing those kind of amazing places and obviously to get on boards and things of that nature and to where you are now, it was a successful career journey. Another thing that just listening to you that I think could really help some people, talk to me about the best boss or mentor or rabbi or bodyguard, ah. you know, who stood, when I say to you, who really stood out in these big companies? Because so many people are listening are yeah. early in big companies or actually don't want to be entrepreneurs, have deployed self-awareness and do want to work in big companies. I think this is an important story. Who was the great champion for you or two? Who stood out early yeah. and what did they say? What was their piece of advice or action that changed the trajectory of your career? Well, I think it was someone who actually, I'll tie back to the Andrea piece of our discussion because it's Mary Dillon, who is the CEO of Ulta Cosmetics. Um, and when our investment business did really well, it's when Ulta Cosmetics did really well. So mm. I have Mary to thank for a lot of different things, but I worked with her when I started my career in consumer packaged goods. She pulled me from a finance role into marketing. She, um, she gave you the air cover to, what people don't know, if you're listening right now, that's tough because people always want steady tracks. So this, this yeah. mentor saw something she took a in risk. you. She took a risk and moved you over because she saw something in you. Yeah. It's funny you say that because I actually asked her later, you know, why did you do that? And she used those exact words. She said, I saw something in you that I'm not even sure you saw in yourself. Love it. And I wanted to give you that opportunity. So I think that's incredibly important for all of us to think about. And it's great your today's show is about entrepreneurs. I look at our business right now, we have 16 hotel brands, but kind of the three critical ones were all started by entrepreneurs. Holiday Inn was started by an entrepreneur who wanted to build interstate travel in the United States. Uh, Kimpton Hotels was a, you know, the boutique business and Bill Kimpton built that to grow that. And then our intercontinental brands was an entrepreneur 
uh, Juan Trippe, who started Pan Am Airlines and wanted to build intercontinental travel. Mm -hmm. So all these people, you look at like their path, how they started something small that became part of something really big. So for those entrepreneurs on the phone, that's kind of cool to think about how well, your you path know, is just a beginning of what could be. You know, it's funny, living as an entrepreneur and being in corporate land and thinking about so many people in here and you know, for example, the gentleman that's following you, I've mentioned him once, I've mentioned him again because I, I look for Jeff Smith's, you know, Andrea talks about you to me, by the way, in a way, like I actually, you know, the way we have this structure today from entrepreneurs to change agents or, or vice versa, I've been surprised how my own opinion of entrepreneurial tendencies and their, I've told, I know I'm bouncing here because I'm excited. I love when I change my mind. I think there's a lot of people that lack one trait of enjoying risk, enjoying risk versus being concerned about it. But they have every other tendency of an entrepreneur and I now encourage them to feel very excited going into companies because their skill set has an incredible opportunity for flourishing in that environment. Absolutely. Because, because I think if they're thoughtful to not put themselves in a very risky spot politically. They, the person that understands not to take too much political risk, but enough risk to innovate and help bring value to the business has an unbelievable path within corporate environments. And so, you know, I think, I think to your point, I think that the person that has that level of creativity, there, there's just a very clear path now for me for certain people that can win in an enormous way in corporate environments if they well, tap into both capabilities. And I would say this crisis that we're in, all the behaviors that we're using in our big company mm -hmm. are things that entrepreneurs just do Wouldn't innately. You know, we're doing stand-ups, we're mm -hmm. having meetings, you know, on the spot. We're not using decks. We're making quick judgment calls based on the data we know. Not only the data we know, but also sometimes people say things in data that they're doing. And then there's what they're, sometimes people say what they're going to do. And then there's the data that actually says what they're doing. But being able to move and respond to that at the, at the speed that entrepreneurs are used to, I think is very similar to all the, if I look at all the behaviors our company implemented in this time period, it's all those things that, that you've talked about with your entrepreneurs. And being a stand-up exactly right. comedian doesn't hurt. Like being funny in, in a corporation, especially when things are incredibly stressful, that's good. By the way, not always good to follow a stand-up comedian. That's not no, uh... fair. Fair enough. <laughs> what, what are you seeing out there, Claire? Like what's, a, what's an interesting insight from luxury to mainstream pivoting during this time? Yeah. Consumer-driven data is probably a place you can talk to given your Amex. And like, I can see yeah. the connection points. When I throw those kind of three things at you, what would you like to touch on on our time here? Well, I think it's moving at a pace that we've never seen before, right? And so I think about our business, we're in a hundred countries and at any point in time, things were changing, especially early on, things were changing so fast. Remember when we thought masks were bad and then masks were good and then, you know, how the virus- Or it's, uh, only, gonna be two, it's only gonna be two weeks and then you realize yeah. it's maybe two years. So I, I think it's just, you know, the data is moving so fast that it requires us to be on top of it every week. So we're meeting every single week and, and watching what's happening. It does help to be a global company because you see consumers tend to behave similarly, right? As human beings, there's certain things that we behave similarly. And you can kind of see those countries that are ahead of other countries 
how behavior starts to turn and what that might mean. And so we're able to kind of look at the whole uh, industry and around the globe and see what's happening. I mean, in China, they are traveling again. I mean, that our business there is almost back to what it was before, right? So you, is that you know, right? Yeah, you, we're there. So even business travel is happening. What about, what about Europe? Europe is, it depends, right? So what it's we're fun. seeing is mainstream business travel, which is sort of drive to locations, has done pretty well in this environment. As we all know, we were trying to get away for the weekend, et cetera. Yep, 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 yep. And our number one objective is keep people safe. When we did that, travel was okay and people were out and about. Resorts have done really well. Those two sort of ends of the spectrum have done really well. It's the middle that middle. I think will continue to, it's that business, you know, large Right, because business. a lot of those hotels rely on the conferences that are happening. So that's getting right. affected. Right. So we've had to think about, you know, we have to look two to three years out. If that's the environment we're in, how do we pivot with the business we Claire, have? Let me and ask think you a quick that. question. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want to get this in before you leave. One thing that I've been thinking a lot about and your energy just took me there. So I believe in a very consumer-centric communication strategy, right? The big companies that are on this are all, you know, for the most part, top-down, right? Strategy from, you know, a strategist, a creative brief, a TVC, or a brand play, and then matching luggage in digital. I'm observing that people learning to be more entrepreneurial, fast, consumer-centric in their operations yeah. is starting to create the first meaningful debate. And I'm talking about people that I really know who've been yeah. adamantly against me, like, you are wrong, Gary, you don't get it, you're wrong, who have now started kind of like, even a couple off the record, like, e like phone numbers and emails I didn't recognize because they don't even want to trace it, or like, hey, you might have been more right than I thought. We learned this about our ops. Is this how you see it in communication? You mean people creating their own, companies creating their own no, messaging? No, no. Literally employees who just don't want to use their corporate email admitting that their strategy for the communication isn't working and like off the record having talks with me of like, hey, actually, how do we do digital right? We didn't realize that we could be faster. You might be right. Oh. Maybe we should put out 1,500 pieces of creative at lower cost instead of- That's 100% the way that we've gone. I, I think that is going to be one of the biggest game changers for the- creative industry ever. Like we had to have people on property do this for us immediately with an iPhone. And that's how we trained hundreds of employees, thousands of employees around the world on safety and cleanliness. That's how we got in social media to say, hey, this is where it's safe to travel. We've done everything to keep you safe. This is how we got all of our messaging out. It's all social media right now. And it's all created quickly because by the time you create something, you know, develop creative, you got to- Speed matters. Right? Like at the time we were going to message something about UK travel, they closed their borders. So we had to throw all that out, start over. Um, you've got to have people on the ground who can do that. And we've been, we found people who we didn't know had it in them and they've done it. And it, that's been the cool part of this, right? Is like new things get creative. So- Andrea, I need at least two more hours with this incredible woman. I, we have to follow the schedule because I'm getting texts like, don't be a jerk, Gary. Uh, my, by the way, Claire, my team has totally figured me out. They can see that I'm getting in the zone with you here and they're like, uh-oh, we're going to lose him for 15 minutes. So kudos to the team to keep me on schedule. But Andrea, I expect some real time with Claire. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. You were right. Thanks, Claire. But not to worry, we've got Jeff up next. Jeff Smith is the co-founder and co-CEO of Paragon Vitamins and co-founder and partner of Ignite Venture Studio. 
Jeff's entrepreneurial journey launched after he retired from a long career at Johnson & Johnson. Jeff launched Paragon Vitamins, which uses a personalized combination of metabolic testing in an online assessment that detects nutrient imbalances and delivers custom vitamin packs designed just for you. I've actually just signed up. You got to check it out. It's unbelievable. Jeff is also co-founder and managing partner of Ignite Venture Studio and has lots to share about his learnings during COVID. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Andrea. Hey, Gary, how are you? Jeff, it's great to see you. Uh, I've enjoyed the fact that yeah. you've been on the line for, in the back studio room for several of our guests. So I'm going to start with a different kind of question than I normally do. Jeff, out of all things you just heard for the last hour, because I've been seeing you lurking, anything stand out? Any observations? Like, I just love your mind. And I'm just curious what kind of stuck in the last hour that you were listening, if you were listening, because you might have been working. No, absolutely. It was listening. I was on here um, just to, to participate and listen ahead of time. So you always have great, uh, great guests and uh, you learn something from each and every one of them. I, you know, I thought it was fascinating that Mark Laurie was still talking about, um, you know, closing that gap. I think so much of, you know, that the humbleness that is needed in that, having sold something to Amazon prior, having sold something to Walmart and Walmart being, you know, the 800 pound gorilla, you know, globally, and still having the self-awareness and humbleness to know that it is a long game, not a short game. Uh, it was fascinating because obviously he's a um, well-esteemed executive and could uh, blow smoke about how well they're doing. And he's still got that passion and drive in there that uh, made him successful already and will for his future. One thing I've always loved about interacting with you and I have the luxury of spending more time with you is humbleness. I think, I think that people really underestimate patience and humbleness and curiosity and the enjoyment of changing one's mind with new information. Um, to give some context, you had a very long, incredible career at J&J. &J. You're now fully in entrepreneur land. What, what's, what's the difference in the humility and patience you're deploying in this environment versus the, that same skill set in a corporate environment? How does it manifest differently going from big Monster Co, where you had a ton of remit and a lot of responsibility, but things been established hundreds of years before you got there versus this baby that you're running now. It's the same thing. How is it, how does it manifest differently? Yeah, no, it's a great question. One I get, uh, you know, a lot of people asking from time to time. And, you know, it's funny because the, the answers you hear oftentimes are, are not the things that, you know, I, I, that bother me or affect me day to day. You know, the things that are true, you know, things like, oh, you'll be able to make decisions faster and there'll be less or better meetings and, you know, more autonomy and more innovation. Yeah, true in some ways, but that's really um, almost like table stakes in it. I mean, the things that are, that are more interesting are things about, you know, how you have to, you have to get it. Like it's not, you not, it's not self-driven anymore. It is outcome driven every single day. Um, you know, in a big, large corporation, you know, shit, you can make decisions in one day and it'd be weeks before that thing comes back around to you. Um, and so you're not really outcome driven in between. You're just waiting for the machine to kind of pull it along. Um, and you know, it, it's lonely in some ways. I mean, lonely in the context of you're making lots of decisions every single day. You know, you got a small team, um, but you, you often feel like, where's my village? Um, you know, the village is like a couple of us. And it's like, you know, you just, those, those types of things, like moving fast, um, you know, taking something would take two to three months and bringing it down to two to three days um, is both, 
scary on one hand that nobody tells you about going into you know big corporate entrepreneurship but what makes it so fascinating and challenging to start over um, and i really feel like i'm 24 again speaking of 24 again you we didn't create this context so create the context because you're in a business with your daughter and again i am i'm one of them i'm one of them yep and one of the things that I'm yeah. trying to do here, I've said it three or four times, so clearly it's true, is try to hit as many different constituents that are listening. There are a lot of family businesses or a lot of family side hustles going on with the listeners of this show. What have you learned? You know, obviously a very near and dear, uh, you know, concept to me because it's been my career, family businesses with my dad, with my brother. What have you learned about yourself through being in business with your daughter? And what's been, you know, kind of the highlights and the biggest challenges? Yourself, highlight, low light of this process. Yeah, well, I think first and foremost is um, how much more successful if I, I could have been if I'd been just as smart and put together as my 29-year-old <laughs> daughter is. So. <laughs> I was still wasting my time a little bit more back at, at that point. But, you know, we, you know, one thing, I mean, we didn't talk about my background, but, you know, I grew up in sort of small towns across Western Canada, Canadian born and raised, um, you know, and lost my father at the age of 24 uh, to cancer. And, you know, it, it just got my career started at Procter and Gamble and, you know, uh, settled into, you know, knew what that did to affect our family in terms of, you know, all the living for the future. Um, and, you know, not being able to sort of grow up with it past that with somebody. And so, you know, on retire, you know, prior to retirement, it was my daughter that um, sort of identified the, the need in Paragon Vitamins because I'd ran, ran into us to a scientist and somebody who'd been doing um, exactly what we're doing, but with professional athletes, you know, 47 world records amongst um, the group of people that are taking our vitamins and had been dealing with it in like, call it $10,000 plus remits with 10, 12 athletes every year um and was my daughter was like you know aren't we all everyday athletes how do we get this available to a hundred thousand people who are just living busy lives with their families mm -hmm. a lot of work going on the stress ever communicating and you know live the way that they live like an athlete but with the right um you know nutritional makeup and getting yourself back into balance to deal with the stresses of our everyday life and i was like let's do it um so got them on their way and uh we're having some fun what, what's been the hardest part? Like what, what, like what re, like real talk? Like I, like I cried at least, at least 200 times with, in working for my dad and you know, in, from 14 to 34, I, in the way my career manifested, I had to push back resentment of my dad and brother because it ended up on merit that I had a bigger financial impact even though I owned 0% of my dad's business and made my 22 year old brother my 50% partner and then had to buy him out from something. These are real challenges that I had to go through. Family businesses are real, real dirty. Like, like, cause I really think you can help and obviously I don't want to pry and go to a place you don't want to go, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, no. But, but I'd love to like, you know, like, you know, there's a really fine, you're, even your answer about your daughter, there's such a fine line. Like I see it already. Like I look at my two children and I'm like, huh, if I go into business with them, I'm not sure that I'm gonna be able to deliver the level of candor, right? That is needed, that was easier for me to do with my dad and brother in a world where I'm bad at candor to begin with because I don't like negativity. 
And what that's gonna do is yeah. create entitlement for my children to think they're better than they are. And the business world doesn't give a fuck about my feelings about my kids. Like mm. what has been the kind yep. of biggest challenge for you? Or maybe, maybe some shit your daughter said to you that you had to unlearn like, dad, that's cute that you did that at J&J. That doesn't fucking work here. Like what, what's been the toughest part? <laughs> Well, yeah, and, and it's funny because it's, we're kind of reverse roles. My daughter, Courtney, is more you in this scenario. Um, and I'm, you know, for lack of better, it's more your dad. Um, and, you know, it, there's that piece where you're, you know, even though when it started, are you dad or are you Jeff? Right. <laughs> because, you know, there's like, how, how do we talk when we go out and meet with somebody? How do we, and it's like, no, I'm Jeff. Like, you know, and the, the simple shit like that. But I think, you know, probably the biggest thing is, you know, she, as I said, you know, I wished I was as well put together as she was. She's got incredible, um, you know, levelness in some ways. And, you know, I think the thing I, that's been super hard is that she's got this attitude of nobody fucking cares about your background. Um, why do you keep like you know, pe people want to talk about it? Like nobody cares in the vitamin world because that's not where you came from. Um, and so, you know, stop. I, if she was know, here, I would, say, I would say to her, if you, I would say, give them 14 seconds because, a because even if one does yeah. care, it's good for business. Don't be a, like you should have seen after, totally. I got, after I got my own feelings out of the way as a kid with my dad, if somebody valued the old country, I fucking sold my dad as an old country, like whatever it took for the business, right? Yeah. Well, and it's like, you know, I mean, absolutely. It opens a lot of doors in some ways, but like, you know, you start, you know, I remember I was at, you know, company group chairman of J and J and, you know, my pontification around, you know, how to do stuff on Facebook. It's kind of like, hang on a second. Like you did Facebook, you know, from, from where you sat is not Facebook. Um, you know, get to be a practitioner, figure out, go, go and show me how to buy on, you know, and she's got that sort of realness to her that brings it down into a level where it's like, you know what, I need to be a practitioner all over again, because I clearly didn't know before how it got done other than dishing out a few million dollars here and there. <laughs> of course. What's been the uh, biggest challenge or pivot or insight for you during quarantine? You know, it's interesting. I mean, you know, one of the um, businesses, Andrea talked about um, Ignite Venture Studio, which was really a studio that I formed with uh, a, a head of R&D at J&J. &J. We went out to build, you know, disruptive business models and brands for large CPG companies on the outside, raise money, help them, but do it in partnership, but build them right you know, stability of formulas, compliance, regulatory models, so that, you know, almost a build-to-buy model. The, you know, in late March, third week of March, we decided we were going to launch a brand for the cough, cold, flu, um, sinus season by October 8th. Um, you know, so you take that four-month period of time, you know, what, and I, you know, had experience in that category before, that, that's a 28-month you know, um, launch window in a big corporate company. And to be able to do that in four or five months, um, obviously we work closely with uh, the Sasha group to um, Boehner Commerce group to get this done. And we'll, we'll be there for that October timing. But, you know, the thing that was just fascinating is how much time we wasted before moving around, like just selecting um, suppliers for, you know, manufacturing. You know, we have four different ones. That would have been like at least two different weeks of travel, going to Cleveland, going to the West Coast, you know, sitting down, wasting time and energy and, you know, um, effort. Whereas today, 
you know, moving through a four-month window, we were able to have creative sessions, manufacturing sessions, 3PL sessions, you know, um, website design build, you know, uh, logo design build all in the same day and do it so much faster. I mean, I, sometimes I, you know, I keep saying to myself that I'm going to write a book on how you could literally launch a brand without ever leaving your house, um, essentially, um, you know, while yep. you uh, built it with a group of people that you've like never met physically before um, and get it done and be ready and on time at record levels. I mean, it's just it blows you away, right? And, you know, we're gonna, oh yeah. Yeah. And it's going to rock. I mean, it's not even just like launching a package, good brand. I mean, it's diagnostics, telemedicine, RX and OTC products all being delivered to, the, Jeff, to your me, door let me, let me without leaving your, the comfort of your home. Let me interrupt yeah, you for ahead. two seconds because I think this will help a ton of people on this call listening in the future. Why were you able, and in real talk, whether it's relationship with the CEO, what, like, how does somebody who's in year 10 at RB, Procter, J&J, Unilever, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, like, I, I was so taken aback by your your ability to really push against the institutional thinking, but in a way that was productive because I've seen a lot of versions of you burn out in those companies and then go to Google or Amazon. What, give me three to four little real insights for the person that's listening right now is 38, has locked in and said they wanna be the CEO of Hershey or at least a big player. What are some of the secrets or like, common themes that you saw work for you as you navigated and grew, but also work for other people and they did like, what are five to seven moves, I'll call them moves, that people yep. should consider if they wanna take it to the next level in a Fortune 500 company that might not be obvious? Yeah, you know, I, I think that the toughest one for most people is to continue to be yourself. Um, you know, if you, if, when you believe something, you know, you need to say it. Now, that doesn't mean you're not good at listening on the way forward. You bring in the data points of everybody. You, you know, have to move quick on your feet, if you will, to um, encapsulate all that information coming in, but you still got to put your point of view out there, even if it's not liked. Um, and stand for it. You know, it doesn't mean that um, if you get overruled that you're not going to support the decision going forward, but too many people, particularly in that middle part of their career, you know, shut their mouth to try and stay out of the fray so that they don't get, you know, noticed, if you will, as both in the bad, but by default, you don't even see the good in the person. And you don't, you know, people don't project you to where you could run it because it's almost like you don't have a point of view or a decision-making um, mindset. And so to me, that's the biggest one, you know, don't play it, it, it. There's a fine line between playing the corporate game and just coasting through and hoping for the best and, playing it like you own it and making the, you know, the calls when you see it, call it when you see it, say it out loud and believe in yourself. I mean, you gotta, it's a, it's a practice. You gotta keep, you know, listening along the way. It's not just be a loud mouth in the organization, yeah, but you right. know, hear it, understand it and play it back as, in a way that you know, Jeff, makes everybody feel good. Jeff, the loud mouth in the organization, AKA the person that wants to be an ad age all the time, be on the circuit, be that person who, yeah. Do you feel that that, let me ask you a very interesting question I've been thinking a lot about. Can she or he win if they can back up the goods? Or, this, or because that person in organizations I've known, as a guy who's very loud mouth, but also you know, didn't say a word to the world for 15 years until he felt he had it, 
and then kind of got loud because I was scared to not have mm. the stake behind the loud. I've always looked at people that are loud in these companies and said, wow, nine out of 10 of these people are just loud and that's going to not work out. And sure enough, it's been true. They've had to go to different companies all the time. Can the loud mouth, AKA high energy, pushing the status quo, willing to go out there, hitting the circuit and getting some headlines, which is demonized at times. Can that person win if they actually have the chops? Or do you think by nature that person puts too big of a bullseye and even if they're great at their craft, they will eventually get caught? Thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, so I, I, think it's a short, I think it's a short game. I mean, you can definitely win. I mean, and you see lots of it happening all the time. I mean, win, win, win. It's impossible in my mind, though, to win every single time. And so yeah. the tough part with it is nobody expect, nobody, everybody wants to see the loudmouth fail at some point. And so that, you know, without that humility and self-awareness, you just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and you're winning, 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 and then you lose and everybody's off your boat. Um, you're, you're done at that point. And then, and you can't back it up in some ways. And so it, it, there's a piece of that where it's like, I think it's a short game. Um, I think you can do it. And I think some people can take it longer than others, but God, you've got to be damn near perfect to take it all the way through an entire career. Um, so there's a, you know, yeah. there's a bit of there of having both that's important, not just being um, you know, the only winner in the game. I love you, pal. Thanks for being on. Love you too. Take care. Thanks guys. Next up is Jim Malika of Under Armour, SVP of Digital Commerce and Consumer Engagement. Jim is a 25-year vet in marketing, media, and digital commerce. His team is responsible for deepening Under Armour's relationship with consumers across brand experiences and for driving revenue. Welcome, Jim. Thanks for having me, Andrea. Appreciate it. And I need to get set up with Jeff for the vitamins sound incredible to do a partnership with my fitness pal. That is Perfect. absolutely true. So let's make sure, Andrea, literally do that while I'm on here, connect these two wonderful dudes. Jim, before we go anywhere, um, your default picture, because the team sends me all this stuff, which yeah. by the way, I still have, I feel so bad because the team does so much prep work for these things. <laughs> and and I, you get, you also know me well. So you yep. and Jeff both know, the last two guests, that I spent 0.0, .0 seconds prepping for these things. <laughs> but when I tell you, that when I saw your default photo, I guess it's your LinkedIn photo, that young man, <laughs> that is a good looking young man. Oh. Default photo. You might have to update it, brother. You, yeah. you gotta be careful because when the default photo is 30 years younger than you actually are, you, you, you're, gonna, you're yeah. such a good looking dude. You look so great right now for your age, but you're getting people caught because they see that default <laughs> photo and they think you're, that you're the son of you. Yeah, yeah, I love it. In fact, though, that was taken a few years ago, but still at Under Armour. There's just a lot of Vaseline and uh, Photoshop, my friend. Yeah, you look yeah. insane, bro. I think you should <laughs> forget this and become a model. All right, give us, give us the context of your career so we set you up and then we'll go into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, um, the, the short story, grew up in, in an Italian neighborhood in, in, in Pittsburgh. Um, family from New York, New Jersey. We spent a lot of time up there. My dad was the first to go to college. And so, you know, uh, for me, and, and he went to law school, became successful. They had me young, became successful. And so I always felt that I was going to have to follow in his footsteps and be an attorney. My mother from a very creative and artistic family, there was something that just didn't feel right about it. So I was actually in law school for a day, literally one day. One day. Uh, one day. 
I, uh, I moved back home. I went to, went to law school for one day, came home, told my father, uh, I'm dropping out. And, and uh, I packed how'd, up. How'd that go? I packed up my shit and found an apartment uh, <laughs> right away. But I did. I walked across the street and started in business school. <clears throat> and it was right for me, right? It just didn't feel right. I felt a lot of pressure to succeed as the oldest of three boys. I felt like that was the path that I should take. You were the yeah. oldest of three. I was the oldest of three. Oh my God, I wish I was friends with one of your two younger brothers. They must have been so pumped when you quit law school on day one. They're like, great, oh my God. nothing yeah. we can all do is gonna be worse off. than that. Yeah. Right, all, all pressure was off, all yeah. pressure was off. So I went, to, I got recruited out of business school, went to Nissan, um, mostly I think because my dad had a green 240Z when I was a kid and I think I was trying <laughs> to ingratiate myself back with him. Um, and the whole internet started, right? And this was before there was a commercial internet, but they put me on this project. I realized that was going to fundamentally change the way that we interact with brands. So I quit, took, you know, uh, half the money, moved across the country and started in a dot-com, you know, first wave of dot-coms. And um, that started this path of, let me go learn everything I can about things that I find interesting that, uh, you know, I think are going to change the way we do business. And if I felt like if I learned more and I knew it and I had hand on, hands-on practical experience, then I controlled my own destiny. And so that's why it's, you know, allowed me to work for, and I've been fortunate enough to work for some of the brands that I have. I love that. And, and, and w just for four seconds, yeah. Nissan, which companies, just to, to the point you are so, now? So I went Nissan, I went to a startup, um, I, I went to a financial services startup, then I went to another uh, data and analytics company, which then got bought by private equity and Newstar. Then Disney, Viacom, which uh, I worked with, worked with and for Pam, who you see next, next, right? Fantastic leader. Um, and then went on to Ralph Lauren and now Under Armour. Something that you and I have talked about in the past is vulnerability yeah. as a strength. This yep. was probably the combo that kind of like locked me in with you because I believe in it so much. Even though I don't, you know, I, I've learned that it's not that I'm worried about vulnerability, it's that. I don't love to put my, my headaches on other people. So I myself never demonized vulnerability. I demonized everybody has their own shit too. And I'm so grateful that my chemicals let me take care of my stuff. So I'm not gonna put this on them. I'm gonna be an agent of positivity and good vibes. Why put more garbage on people? And I continue to be that way, but I try to find ways to show vulnerability, especially now that more eyes are on me. I'm like, wait, let me show that like I have, I have bad, every day I have issues given what I'm up to in life and business. Talk to me about that, because that always struck me when we talked about that back in the day, and I think it's a pillar that you've been yeah. thoughtful about. Yeah, look, I mean, I think, I think that humanizes you, right? Um, to which Jeff's earlier point of your question about like the, the comet, I don't think the comet's ever sustainable because people know that they're out for themselves, right? Right. And while they may be good guys to get a drink with or, or shoot around an idea, you know that that the, they don't have an interest in creating meaningful relationship and helping that, you know, the two of you to connect to build something better. And so for me, you know, I've always felt like uh, one of the things that is really, really important is not pretend you have all the answers because nobody does. And if, you, and if you start to elicit the opinions of others, if you start to talk about all the things that you've screwed up over the years, it lets people have the freedom then to number one, engage in better creativity, going to different places of innovation that they wouldn't because they'd be afraid of otherwise. But it also makes you feel like, 
like you're a totally um, human person to them and that they can relate to you. And for me, like I can't put on, I, I'm like you, I'm very transparent. I am who I am. And, and you're going to get- but I, but I will say, I will say, and this might help some people, I am that, but I am much better at 44 than I was at 34 at saying, hey, can you explain that? I didn't understand that acronym or this, you know, it, it's just the truth. I, I would never, I was always, petri- I always lived my life that everybody was filming everything and could I explain what played out? And it's really guided me so well. So I wouldn't make pretend I knew something. By the way, one of the biggest things I teach with my own team is when I know somebody doesn't know what they're talking about and I go really at it. And then I, and then I make them feel safe, but I, but I teach them that they could get caught. Yeah. You know, like, don't like, so I feel if 44 versus 34, I'm much more comfortable saying, Hey, can you explain that? I don't fully know it. Whereas at 34, I'd let it go by and try to figure it out later. And that speaks to vulnerability in a different form. It's not faking the funk, but it's leaning into it. Well, because you were trained, we as people were trained that way. That yeah. if you don't have the answer, you don't know that's a mortal flaw. Right. And I think, and I, and I think what, what ends up happening is, is that if you not just explain it, but you actually ask the quote unquote dumb question, the obvious, like, help me understand what that is. You're helping means. everybody else in the room. Yeah, exactly. Because then they feel like, well, they can ask the question too. Um, and, and I think uh, it's your point, like there are lessons learned over time, right? I think I've become much better about this where, you know, when, when you first start your career, when I first started my career, I thought it was really important to make sure that everybody knew how much I knew. And then you realize, you, you realize that, that that's not actually the way to build relationships and ultimately succeed in what you're trying to accomplish. It's a really, it's a really interesting point. I, I've been thinking a lot of, so I love to talk, but I realized something about myself was because I really didn't care what anybody thought about me. It was that I like to use it as a guide to get to the actual answers. Yeah. The thing that I've realized about myself in meetings is I don't like waste. Like I think every meeting is 80% too long and 40% overcrowded. And now what I'm trying to do instead of doing what I do, which is dominate a room to get to the punchline, which could be perceived wrong. I'm like, I'm going to start creating smarter agendas and shorter meetings. And it's helped me. It's helped me not talk as much. This goes back to the vulnerability of self-awareness, which was like, I didn't need to, like nobody in my company needs to think they know what, what we're doing here. It was that I was trying to get to the punchline because I didn't like the waste. Totally. Well, and that, that brings you to what, what I, at least what I found during this time during COVID and staying at home, right? That everyone, I was worried, getting ready to replatform and launch a new website, getting ready to, to, to launch a new loyalty program in China. And everybody is, is in these you know, diverse locations all over the world. And I thought, there's no way in hell we're gonna launch these complex things. Cause you know, I'm an office guy, I'm a people person. And you know, I like to burn the midnight oil and be there late. And I was worried that we lose productivity. But what I found went is- the other way. Yeah, same, totally. Same. By the way, same. Because, because what it found is, is that Zoom's really productive when everybody's on Zoom. I found that, that you, know, you don't get invited to all the bullshit meetings that don't matter to oh, your point. It's, it's, People are cutting them down to you know, 15, and, 30 and, minutes. And by the way, everybody that cares about relationships, the one that was the most not obvious to me, for example, I, I've had the luxury and adored you and our and Pam who comes up next and hopefully after we get to jam some more Molly as well. And in the future, like, and you know, Pam, you definitely know this. I know you're in the back room, but I can see you. 
I've probably, and vice versa, have tried to get together with Pam in the last 18 months 11 times. And we might be one of 11, right? No, 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 I'm not. I'm, I'm saying it in a good way, Pam. I know nobody sees you when you said you're full of shit, which I love about her. That's why she's the best. What I mean by that is people are busy and calendars are hard. And I have found that I feel more confident that I'm going to be able to check in and jam 15 minutes here, 10 minutes there. Like, I feel like it's going to be a gateway to relationships. Like when we go back to normal, I think the Zoom virtual ecosystem, even the way people are, now people wanted, you know, I, because of all the rap kids and all the athletes with my brother, that crew only wanted to do FaceTime calls, right? right. Like four years ago when all these 18 year olds were like, FaceTime calling me, I'm like, what are they doing? Like, I was even like, I like to be progressive, like shit, this is not like exactly how I do it. Now that's what everybody's gonna be doing because we're so used to this for, I was on a phone call last week and hung up and said, I'm not doing this. That's how much I didn't like the conference call. Yeah. I was like, can we please reschedule this? Cause the context of the reactions, like Pam's reaction in the back room, like I need that shit. That's how I breathe. And I know you're that way too, Jim. Yeah, and it's your environment. Look, like the fact that we're in our environments and my dog may come in or my kids are all over here and they may come in and ask me for something. There's a humanity to it, Gary. And it breaks down that wall of where somebody different between work and here and your point about understanding and empathizing humans. I think that window into their world has really, at least it's really, really helped me. Set boundaries, stay recharged. Um, but yeah, love the conversation and, and, and uh, you got a killer coming up next. I'm aware of that. Thank you, brother. We had just had a killer. Great seeing you. All right, take care. take care. Great seeing you. Bye-bye. Next, we welcome Pam Kaufman. Pam is president of Global Consumer Products for Viacom CBS Inc., one of the largest entertainment companies in the world. And she is a kick-ass leader, if you haven't already gotten that. Pam has had quite a career, currently overseeing the global multi-billion dollar consumer products organization, covering all brands in the portfolio, including BET, CBS, Comedy Central, MTV, Nickelodeon, Paramount Pictures, and Showtime. Pam has built some of the most culturally relevant and iconic brands through new content and strategic partnerships. And I'm hoping that they're gonna talk a lot about this guy. Welcome, oh. Pam. Yeah. Amazing, Andrea. Great hat. Pam, I love that. You. you are absolutely a killer, like Jim said. It's great to see you. Great to see you, Gary. Um, first of all, what an incredible show. Thanks. I mean, this is amazing. I, I'm getting like right. a master class. I'm seeing people I want to meet, people I know. Malika, I've taught him everything he knows. He didn't <laughs> say that, but I'm just saying, you know, he used to work for me. Um, I'm very aware. He gave I mean, I'm just that. saying. He said it while you were prepping. He was giving you plenty of love. You should definitely okay. say that. All right. I'm just saying, this is what he a He actually show. said, I don't know if you heard that. He actually said every single thing that is good about his career is you. Everything bad was some other guy you mentioned. I forgot the name. Oh, I know. Trust me. Um, by the way, before we start our little soiree, I just want to thank you for one thing. Wine, Wine tax. tax. Yes, yeah. I knew it. I mean, thank you. And by the way, I also think I need a commission because I must have shared wine text with about 38 people. You know, there's so a referral code. If you text well, help to wine text right now, you can get a, you can rack up referral codes. Get now you tell me. Right. I mean, I got it from Ibrahim. And one little plug, we did launch on September 8th, Star Trek Day, Klingon Blood Red Wine. So I just Zoom want to say- Put that to the camera, put that to the camera, the label. The other oh. side, other side. Can you see it? Here we go. Now, that is amazing. Good for you. 
So it's blood red wine. Um, and so there's a Zinfandel, a Cabernet. We'll talk because we're going to do, I want to do an emotional deal. Done. With wine text. Done. So let me, let me ask you this because I've been zeroing in on different things. You went from Nickelodeon to the entire Viacom CBS brand ecosystem, uh, which is unbelievably deserved. For the people that are listening, because we do have a lot of senior B2B leaders, uh, corporate leaders here, what was, and this is fairly, this was in the last year, Pam, is that 18 months? 15? Well, yeah, uh, Viacom was in two years ago and then CBS was in the last six months. So. Right, so what was the, you know, obviously you're this, to use Jim's word, killer executive, but what was the biggest learning from the transition of the debt? You know, because don't forget Nickelodeon, for, for everybody who's listening, Nickelodeon was big enough to Andrea's point, all these incredible iconic IPs. What shifts is it that Nickelodeon is within a pocket, even though TM, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is different than SpongeBob? Is it more voices navigating a bigger? What was the big, you were so prepared for it, but I want like the real senior people listening right now, maybe getting an insight of what was surprising or interesting or easier than you thought or harder than you thought. Give me the skinny on that. Well, first of all, I mean, here, here's the deal. Nickelodeon, um, one of the best brands, one of the best jobs in the world, uh, really helped prepare me. And I think, so I was prepared because I was fo I've always been focused on launching hits, building brands, uh, building diverse teams, uh, driving revenue growth, all of that in the Nickelodeon pocket. And then all of a sudden, um, it's now worked across Viacom, CBS, which has been incredible. And so it's, um, it's not that different. You have to understand the consumer. I mean, you know, you've been, you said it, the, every single person I've been watching, you're talking about consumer obsessed. And so we have been really connecting with the teams to understand the consumer, making sure we understand what the priorities are. Um, and it's not hard when Bob says, you know what, now you've got to work on MTV and South Park and um, that little movie called Top Gun. So right. it was, it was, it was um, both an easy and challenging transition, trans, uh, transition from kids to obviously um, all family. In that scenario, are you reverse engineering? Are you like, is it kind of like, hey, let me go consumer centric back. So whether it's Top Gun to your point or MTV, it's like, okay, I need to understand what this has and what this needs to open or to execute or to win? Is that how you think about it? Or do you go, like, how do you, what's your process of, of winning that game for your own self? I mean, the same thing is, is it's just really understanding who the fans are and what they want. Because we have to deliver, my job is to deliver product to the super fans. Right. And so if you know who loves what you do, you can deliver what you do to them. And so, um, uh, you know, South Park is a really interesting example. There's so many fans out there. There's a lot of retail that's quite frankly, really challenged, doesn't want to carry South Park. It's really racy. So what do we do? We create our first direct to consumer e-commerce shop. South right, Park, so to South your Park. point, South Park having teeth, which it does, which is very, very, very different than Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles leads to a resale environment, your partners, that is trickier. Oh, very nice, nice. By the way, there. thank you, VaynerMedia was a very big part yes, of- thank you. You like that? I'm plugging right uh, back. Thank you, yeah. I love you. So- uh, VaynerMedia so, supported the turtles. So did that, like, what, did that make it easy? Like, when you think about that, this is what excites me about like building big companies. 
ooh, let's use South Park to get our DTC muscle up because we have this issue anyway. So it's gonna be important for the IP to sell through this, but we might be able to take those learnings and deploy them against other categories. Um, it's more or like, was people, it just, it's, it's through the consumer lens. People love South Park. Yes. They want more South Park. Guess what? We're going to create a direct-to-consumer site and sell them more South Park. We, we're um, doing the same thing on MTV. People love MTV. MTV is this beloved brand. MTVshop.com. We launched Star Trek. Dot com. So again, we are trying to go where the consumer is and where the fans are. So that's what it was about launching D2C. And so, um, you know, back to your question, it was really about understanding what the fans are, what was popular, where do we want to go? Um, the thing that surprised me most in this new role, again, leaving Nickelodeon kids for a second, Yellowstone. I mean, Yellowstone's the show that has completely blown up. It finished the year's number one across every single metric. And we thought, well, we got to chase the Yellowstone. And so we launched an incredible line on walmart.com. Thank you, Mark Laurie. Mm -hmm. And we did this incredible Yellowstone shop. So, so through the adult lens, it's about going where the consumers are. Talk to me about nostalgia. One of the things that you know, I believe in the most is that, which is why I've always been intrigued by the stuff that you've been working on. It's always been a big interest of mine. What have you learned or what's an insight or what is something people don't recognize as a deep expert in this, an operator and a successful one? What do people misunderstand about nostalgia or what's the insight? Nostalgia, you know, it's so funny. The trend, couple of, the trend started a couple of years ago when we started seeing obviously um, consumers gravitate, gravitate towards things that they truly grew up on and loved. And we know right now, 70% of adults they want to go back to something that they grew up with their child in their childhood. They want to share things with their kids. The second thing we know is during the pandemic, it's only been supercharged. People want to go back to their childhood. They want to go back to things that make them feel comfortable. So the nostalgia trend is here to stay. And, you know, I am the beneficiary and the company is the beneficiary of that. So right now, and that's why we're seeing an explosion and look at Avatar. Avatar finished the year as Netflix's number one show. Mm -hmm. Animated show launched you know, many years ago on Nickelodeon, mm -hmm. finished Netflix year, the number one show. We've got Star Trek, as I mentioned. Next year is the 55th anniversary. People, there's six different series. There's all new content coming up. People love Star Trek. Uh, we just bought Garfield. Uh, I was part of the Garfield oh, acquisition Garfield. a couple months ago. I mean, this beloved IP. This is things that people want. The Rugrats are coming back. MTV is a global fashion brand. And I'm talking about classic MTV. Um, and I just, you know, I, I joked about the turtles, but guess what? This is a beloved IP that people want to wear in all, in all, um, all expressions of turtles. So it's, it's really kind of an incredible moment. And it's being driven by adults. 100%. So, so because I don't want Andre to be mad at me, let's talk SpongeBob. Okay. For a few minutes here, because the hat yeah, was such a good me. pull. Yeah. What's the 411? What's the update? What's happening in that world? How, how's it going? Uh, well, SpongeBob, so we, we just celebrated the 20th anniversary of SpongeBob. Oh, uh, that, but sorry. I didn't realize how old I actually was. 20 already for SpongeBob? 20 years. I, remember, I actually remember <sighs> where I was. Oh, I remember where I was the first time they screened the episode. I was sitting in a conference Actually, Pam, room. let me have a little fun here. What was the most right or the most wrong you've been, because this is what's kind of cool about having the career you've had. You've been able to see yeah. things, be, you know, we all, I mean, 
I'll make it comfortable. I was uncomfortably wrong about Patrick Mahomes. Coming out of the draft, I'm like, this guy's gonna be too loose. He's, he's, he's gonna throw too many picks. He's not gonna be a good NFL quarterback. He's likely gonna end up being the best quarterback of all time. So unbelievably wrong. So I just wanted to make you feel safe to tell us you're unbelievably wrong. I, I, I feel so safe right now. I feel good. like See? Me, man. See? Like we're at the Mercer bar. That's it, That's it. just me and you. I feel really so, good, it's okay. What, what was the most wrong, but also the most right when you, were, when you walked out and said, this is gonna slay. And some of your friends or contemporaries were like, maybe, maybe not. Give me those two, I gotta hear that. Okay, the uh, most wrong on SpongeBob. Really? Because SpongeBob, we, I remember seeing it going, well, this is really funny, but it's got no play pattern. It's like yellow and who's gonna want SpongeBob? And here we are 20 years later. This is a, obviously a globally beloved brand. Oh, Every second someone's consuming, consuming SpongeBob content online. I mean, everywhere you go, SpongeBob is being consumed. I mean, we did an unbelievable deal with Kyrie Irving. Um, sorry, mm -hmm. Jim, Nike. Uh, on SpongeBob, <laughs> and uh, so uh, SpongeBob is was I got SpongeBob completely wrong, and SpongeBob you were, you were like this is going to be gone in six months. This won't make it to episode four. Who's going to watch this? Yep, it's I get like it. It, they live in a pineapple under the sea, and there's all these crazy people. Well, for my own education, was it an instant hit or did it build up? It was an inst it was um, it was a slow build. It launched in 1999. It was a slow build, but the CP thing really took off about two years later, and it really ha exploded in the soft lines and the fashion space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and we've done unbelievable. Pharrell, Jeremy Scott, all these incredible fashion collaborations. Okay, and the other um, direction. What and do the you most right is um, I would say JoJo Siwa. I was so right on JoJo. And so Jojo Siwa uh, met her uh, four years ago. She had just got off Dance Moms. We saw a complete need for the tween and teen audience to have an icon, somebody they believed in. We saw influencers coming up and we met Jojo. She was smart, talented, authentic, and driven and very focused on anti-bullying. And so we built her into this incredible brand and she's still going and actually last week was named Time Magazine's 100 one of the 100 most influential people good for you so Pam, yeah. you, actually a little bit more um another place i'm very curious about that i think will bring value to the audience what's the biggest thing you learned about yourself during covid you yourself for yourself anything stand out when i ask that kind of question something that I, I, you know it, honestly i'd love to be i'd love to be different from the other people who spoke i think the productivity has been insane yeah listen um, it's mine too i mean listen everyone's saying it but it's productivity it's true it's, I, I heard Jim say it earlier. It's like people, you're into your homes. This is very democratic. No one's at the head of the table. People got, you know, doorbells ringing. It's very democratic um, and efficient. And I, you know, I run a global organization. There are people who are virtually in every single market around the world. And to be able to show up one morning and be in Milan and in Tokyo, you know, in that afternoon and still kind of be connected to the teams Oh, I, 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 my leadership for London and Singapore is like in a totally different universe. Right. I feel like I'm always on for them now versus when I go there for two or three days. Right, right. So that piece has been extraordinary. I mean, look, we still miss the team dinners, the, the store checks we do. All of that will never replace this, but it's been pretty efficient. On that note, hot take back to being wrong or right. How much less travel are you guessing for yourself when we get that post, post hopefully uh, vaccine, whatever, whatever this yeah. normal we get, what, 
how much? Like, give me, give me a percentage, give me a story. Do you feel like travel will be down for you? Definitely. I, I've had this conversation with a lot of my friends who, um, who you know, a lot of my colleagues, 50%. We will never fly for the one meeting. I mean, we, of yeah, course, we're always going to go when, well, yeah. when Walmart calls. Walmart needs me in Bentonville, I'm there. But for the one meeting, you know, the week after we had the, this all happen, we had a huge Paw Patrol movie meeting. And it was like 40 people and we were freaking out over the room and the travel expenses and all that kind of stuff. And then this happens and the meeting happens. Well, guess what? Not I mean, only can 40 people attend, 70 people can and attend. And it was better. I get yeah, it. You with traffic or conference room numbers. Or I think, I, I was talking to one CEO and I said to her, I said, you know what? She was concerned and she heard some of my thoughts. I said, no, no, think of it this way. For team, you're going to save so much money for the bullshit travel and meetings. Right. Take that money, take half that money and do four times a year actual off the grid team building. You'll have a better team and better, you know, like there, there's ways to hack. You know what, Gary, that's a really great way to think about it. How do we invest the time back into really meaningful time? I, I love that. I'm going to take that. I think it's oh, good. I, it. I, can't, I can't wait to see you in real life. It was great to see you in this version. Yeah, great to see you too. Thanks for Thank having me. Thank you so much, Pam. Last but certainly not least, we have Molly Carter. Molly has spent her career guiding and working with some of the world's most iconic brands. Gatorade, Converse, Nike, the Chicago Bulls, and ESPN. And she's also worked with some of the most recognizable athletes, Kobe Bryant, Derek Jeter, Peyton Manning, Dwayne Wade. She has recently served as president of Kobe Inc., the umbrella company formed by NBA legend Kobe Bryant to redefine storytelling within sports. Welcome, Molly. Hi. Molly, such a pleasure. I have so much so much pent up admiration and we've never had to say, you know, I'm a pretty serendipity kind of uh, operator in life, yeah. but I'm glad we're here and, uh, and I hope Gary you're well. Gary the man, the myth, the legend. It's good to see you. Great to see you. So Mal, why don't you, why don't you create some context? Obviously those were big statements from Andrea, but in, in, yeah. your own, in your own words, a little two, three minutes for the audience to get a sense of you. Yeah, I will spare the resume read, but I think, uh, you know, early in, in my career, I took a job in sports um, to pay the bills. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and I got there and I realized that there was a sense of community that I really enjoyed and I enjoyed being part of. So I stuck with it. Um, I worked for collegiate basketball team, pro basketball team. I worked for agencies uh, and brands and um, I got to the point where I realized I was missing a piece of the professional pie and it was that startup piece. And um, so I packed up the family and we came to California and I joined the team um, in building what Kobe was going to do next. And um, it was a great experience to create something from nothing. And um, I now have that experience and I'm hugely grateful for it. I think, you know, now I'm at a pivotal point in my career, given the shitty year that has happened. Um, yeah. To figure out how do you take all of that past 25 years, pack it up and go do something big and impactful with it because he would kick my ass if I didn't. So, um, so here we are. So that's, that's the resume. And, you know, I think, um, there's a huge opportunity to do some some great work here. And just because he's not with us doesn't mean that the mission dies. So that's that's the good news. 
I haven't really, <laughs> I haven't had the whole like frog and throat thing going on. It's been, know. you know, you know, well, when I think 2020, Gary, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's funny. I said something to one of my best friends. I've said this many times when people yeah. are really struggling with COVID and, and, you know, every, I mean, it's really hard to find somebody who didn't admire Kobe. So I've, it's been easy for me to deliver this line without even context of who I was talking to. Mm -hmm. I, I always tell people like, you do understand that if COVID started three months earlier, Kobe would be on this earth probably for another yeah. 60 years in trying to help people put things into perspective when they were upset that they couldn't go to yeah. Italy for the summer, right? I'm like, hey, there's bigger things here. Yeah. Um, talk to me about, the, you know, I don't want to sway too much because I can get very emotional here because I have so much competition. <laughs> health, uh, competition used for good as a framework is basically my life's vision. Mm -hmm. So I always understood what he was up to yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, so that's where it goes for me. But just to keep it on the rails, going from Converse and Gatorade to startup land. Yeah. Because I know so many people are contemplating it. Jeff Smith who I, I can't, is Jeff still here? Yes. Uh, no, uh, anyway, yeah. there's people that have been on this show who did it. There's a lot of people listening to this yeah. show. I mean, if you're, a, if you're watching my stuff, you know, most of my last 10 years has been in corporate land, but entrepreneurship is the North Star. Yeah. And so there's a lot of people listening right now at the crossroads. What was the, what was the hardest thing and what was the best thing? I think, you know, listen, I, you know, I'll check the box on startup land because we really, we really did create something from nothing and we created something from an idea and we can talk about that later. Um, but I think, you know, I worked for an iconic athlete and a highly intelligent one and a very creative one. So there was something there to work with. Um, yes. And everybody, his work ethic is legendary, right? So, um, you know, you do your homework before you take a jump into startup land. Um, and did I knew- get, you, did, you get, did you get to interact with him a lot through the years of the serendipity of the, because when I looked at the, you know, back in the day, I was like, oh, it's not like the obvious that they worked together a whole, whole lot. Oh, no, I mean, right. we had met in passing, but we didn't know each other, right? Yeah, that, you know, that, it's funny. I wanted to, you know, I was going to keep that for personal, but here yeah. we are, like, like, I was like, wait a minute, this doesn't me. I mean, you never know, but I was like, this isn't the obvious one where they've been working together seven years on the no. brand side and, and made it obvious. Yep, yep. It's, it's Gary, it's, and, and it's, you know it better than, than anybody. It's, it's the relationships that you make along the way and the 100%. people that you know. And um, my predecessor in the role, his name is Andrea Fairchild. She got here first. Um, she and I had worked together for so many years. I see called me and said, I need you out here. I can't do this right home by myself. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was startup land, but it was somewhat safe um, because I knew that I was working with just a stone cold killer, right? And we were not gonna fail. Um, and there was safety in that. And I think a lot of startups don't have that. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, and we did. So it was, it was, you know, I'm not going to overstate, right? I had a safe startup. Um, and, you know, he was so... One, 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 could, one could argue the reverse. I could. think you're right. But I think if I'm thinking through the eyes and ears of some of the people yeah. that are listening here, you know, I think one of the things, it's really safe to be in Converse and Gatorade land from, <laughs> from, from my point of view, right? Yeah. Because you can yeah. hide. You can yeah. hide. 
Yeah. To your Who point, wants to yeah. hide? Come on. Let's well, do listen, it. you listen. You, that's <laughs> in the way you delivered that. Honestly, I don't yes. know if you can see this. I got goosebumps because I'm like, yeah. literally, what I said to myself was winner. Because in your perspective, it was safe because you knew who you were. Yes. Like, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Like, it's so binary. I would argue 95% of people I interact with would never go there because it's dangerous because the spotlight would have exposed you when you can hide yeah. at Pepsi or Gatorade or, or Converse. The only way to make it work, Gary, and it's, your point is dead on, is to know who you are. Yeah. And um, you have the confidence going into that situation. Um, you have your own self-worth in check. You have your values in check. Um, and I was very fortunate to learn at Converse and Gatorade and have those amazing marketing experiences that I otherwise wouldn't have had or felt secure to go jump off this cliff, right? I, I had taken roles within the Gatorade marketing organization that is tremendous at building marketing leaders. It just, mm-hmm. it just is. And the reason Gatorade is so great that way is because I was forced into roles where I had no idea what I was doing. Um, for everybody who's listening. Packaging, you know, and you learn yeah. and you figure out about yourself that you can pivot. Well, let, you let's, can let's, talk, let's talk about that. When I launched Vayner yeah. Sports four years ago, and yeah. it's a hard question for me to answer because my brother's really running that company. I'm a good recruiter. I've got home run hitting ability, so I make things happen. Yeah. But I get an enormous amount of women hitting me up asking about sports. Yeah. I'm a woman. You know, it's, you know, it's a very top of mind question for yeah. many women getting into sports. Is it an old boys club? Is it bad for me? Am I going to like this or hate this? And I've been very, to be frank, I've been very humbled by how many ask me because it yeah. makes me feel like, oh good, my reputation is doing mm-hmm. a good, they feel it's a safe place. I would argue that this might be the, one of the best places I can help them with. So I'm going to ask the question, yeah. talk to me about the navigation through the sports industry and those kind of brands as a woman, back yeah. to self-awareness. What are the misconceptions? What is, you know, and, and by the way, we all know this, everything is individual, right? Yeah. You could have went to a different organization and had the worst boss, you know, so I think we, with that all understanding, I also, yeah. I also know that you can give a macro perspective. What are some of the things to think about? And then it's also 2021. How does that differ in your opinion from 2010? And yeah. before that, from the stories you might've heard from your mentors. So would love to speak on that for yeah, a Yeah, I mean, hey, listen, I started working in sports 25 years ago and the landscape was really different. And I think the landscape now is better. We have a long way to go. And, you know, I felt throughout the course of my career, whether I knew it at the time or not, um, I felt really frustrated, angry, uh, pissed off, annoyed, all those things. Um, But I also saw an opportunity to change things. And I might be the, you know, little white Irish girl that nobody expects. to be in sports, but I took pride in that. And I was an unexpected person showing up and connecting well with the athletes and keeping my head down and doing a good job. And I felt like if I could keep doing that in my career and lead by example, maybe the next group coming up has a little bit less frustration, nerves, anxiety. Um, Maybe that question that you get goes away a little bit and to give a to give a shout out because I, yeah. I think i think hate with the evolution of our times has mm-hmm. gotten very loud yeah. but i think that love is unfortunately often 
quiet. Yeah. So just for fun, mm-hmm. let's give a shout out to somebody in those early days, both a man and a woman who deserve a shout out from you as somebody who was a shield, was a stepping stone, was an advisor. If I ask you that question, if anyone yeah. stands out, I, you know, I'm trying to do more of this. Just, you know, yeah. maybe one of their cousins is listening right now and they send them a text. Like, I'm trying to put out more good into the world. I think if you're yeah. happy, you should. So just out of curiosity. There, there's a lot of them. I think, I'm you sure. know, um, I think early in my career, I was hired at the Atlanta Hawks. And it was at a time when the Hawks were going through different ownership, going through different coaches. Um, there was the VP of communications there, Arthur Trish, and he took a chance and hired, hired the girl to join the PR staff. And it was rare. This was 99. Yep. Um, there weren't many women PR people in the league. Um, and I think he, he did a good job giving me opportunities, um, but he did also did a good job of trying to protect me. And a lot of times he and I got in fights about it because I didn't want to be protected. I wanted. I see. I see. I see. Yeah. I wanted to figure it out on my own. Um, he thought he was and, doing the right thing in those scenarios. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's like parenting. And again, again all yeah. love for him, right? Yeah, like, totally. I see it. A hundred percent. A hundred percent respect on that. Um, and I think from you know, then I later in my career I went to Converse, and that was run by um, Michael Splain at the time, who's now you know over at Nike. Um, and he was a great leader who always gave you the leash. And um, I'm a little bit of a rabble rouser, a little bit of a rebel. <laughs> um, don't, I don't always say the popular opinion. You know, I think you guys are talking about the loud mouth. I can definitely be that way. Um, and he really guided me and, and taught me when was the right time to be the rebel, what was the right approach to be the rebel. Um, and I learned a lot from him in that regard. And then I think, you know, I mentioned Andrea before, she's always been a, a trailblazer for me and somebody that's um, been a mentor for me and, and you know, my sister and all, and all things. So I love that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that. What, um, you know, it's hard. I've been asking a lot of people navigating COVID. You have such a much bigger challenge right before COVID. Yeah. So, so you know, I mean, that is, that's more, I would argue, and I don't know how you took it, every human takes, now we're getting into like trauma land. I mean, I can't even imagine that yeah. day. Um, being pushed to that extreme emotional graph. Yeah. You know, any words of wisdom for people that are going to unfortunately no, go through um, something? Yeah, I, I, wish, I wish a day like that on nobody. Um, but again, you go through those traumatic experiences and you really figure out who you are. And um, that is invaluable to have. And for yourself, about you. To for yourself. yourself. Yeah. And again, it's about, you know, the whiteboard in front of me and what's going to come next is one thing I'm sure as hell I know how to do is react in a crisis. And um, I knew it a little bit before, but now I really know it. Um, and I've also learned too, you know, aside from people being ill and losing lives, the shutdown for me came at a really interesting time. And it did give me time to just sit for a minute um, and reflect on, you know, my boss and what I learned from him and how I'm going to use it. Um, And that was okay. And I think it was... Had you, Molly, had you, were you the kind of person that 
because I'm, I think we share some DNA as I'm getting to know you. I've, I've known yeah. this from afar. Were you ever good at like, whether it was meditating or taking a walk with yourself? Did you use? Never. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a thinker through motion. <laughs> yeah. So to, to the question, because I'm trying to help people. Yeah. We're through something so big. Yep. Having such a Mac, I mean, geez, talk about back to back big. Yep. Do you, you know, you're still such a young woman, have so much in front of you. Do you now, you know, as you were talking, like, oh, I wonder if she's now going to do that in the micro. Did she get value from that pause? And will she now bring that with herself where she'll try to find micro pauses because she was sure. able to, she likes reflecting now in that pause? Or do you think you'll go to your natural kind of DNA? Uh, TBD. I hope, you know, I've got, I have gotten good about the long walk. I've gotten good about just trying to take a pause um, and being more mindful. And I really, what this time has taught me is gratefulness. Um, Gratitude. And so much gratitude. I mean. Gratitude, gratitude and humility. Yep. Lead to so much uncomfortable levels of happiness. Yeah. Yeah. I just wish people knew. I know. So I hope I hope I don't go back to, you know, running and gunning and never focusing on what's important to me. I I will say this, for the runners and gunners, you know, in the same way that finally alcoholism and mental health and a million other things we've taken away stigma. I've been talking to a lot of people lately of like, look, just because your energy is not on trend and you are a runner and gunner, if you're happy and feel rested and in a great place, don't try to create behavior just because that's where the movement's going, you're Correct. lucky that you're self-aware and you're in a good place. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, you might just be an awesome runner and gunner and you're going to- But I, you know, it's, it's that, it, you know, people say it all the time, you're a better parent when you take time for yourself and you exercise. Yes. And you, yes. I was always terrible at that. And I'm, I am trying and maybe it's because I'm getting old, but you know, you, you take some time and you, you know, hopefully then have more to offer people because you've taken that, that moment. And listen, I'm not good at it. I have people telling me to take time and I'm like, what do you mean? I don't, what do I do with the time? How do I fill the time? You know? So, you know, I'm not an expert at it, but I'm getting better for sure. I really appreciate you being here and I'm looking forward to doing this. Thanks for having me. Hey, I love it. Yeah. Love talking to you. Thanks Molly. Let me know if I could be of any help offline. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Andrea. Take us home. Wow, what a powerful way to conclude today's conversation. Gratitude. Thanks to all of you for joining us for this lucky episode number 13. We're going to take a break for a few weeks to take Marketing for the Now to new heights with a 2.0 version. We'd love to hear from you on what you'd like to see and experience next. So please continue the conversation on hashtag Marketing for the Now or feel free to email us at marketingforthenow at gmail.com. While we're cooking up 2.0, check out past recordings on VaynerX.com and we hope to see you soon. We'll send you an email and keep you posted. Thanks so much for coming. All right, episode's over. Please leave a review and subscribe up on Apple. It would mean a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to me. Thank you very much. Hey podcast, Joe from Team Gary here. Today's highlighted review is Love It by CEO Stacy. I so appreciate Gary's perspective. Fresh and cool, and very real. Thanks to CEO Stacy. Keep those reviews coming. We could highlight yours next.